Hey, thank you for listening to the City Life Church podcast. We are leading people to become fully alive in Jesus. We are a church in San Francisco, and we are praying that this word will encourage you, challenge you, and help you grow in your faith journey. Hey, so several years back, I got to go to a Giants game with a pastor. We had just met not, not too long before, and um, uh, he actually had someone on the Giants team. Jeremy Affield, the pitcher, uh, was part of their church. So he came to see his friend Jeremy, and he says, hey, John, John, you want to come watch a game? So we did. Later, we got to be, meet Buster Posey and Jeremy and the different crew, and great food downstairs, by the way. Um, but the most impressive part of the game was actually the conversation. And after about two to three hours of just watching the game and Giants winning, um, I was blown away. I'm like, where have you been my whole life? Like, who are you? We had similar backgrounds and stories, but I had never previously met Pastor Craig Lotz. And as we talked, I could hear his heart. I'm like, man, it just so resonated in my spirit. And I knew this was a divine connection. I knew that the Lord was setting this up because it was more than just a a friend coming into San Francisco. He would then come and speak at our church at some point. And uh, he has come back a few different times. I've had the privilege of going to their church up in Spokane, Victory Faith Church. Phenomenal, phenomenal church. He is an apostolic voice, not just to his region, but to the nations. They've got campuses, I think, in Kenya, uh, is it Australia, di- different like campuses around the world. They are amazing, amazing pastors. Pastors Craig and Moni have, um, we just adopted them. We said, man, can, can you guys just become some of our overseers? We love you so much. We, we honor you and esteem you so much. They've spoken into my wife's life. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and they've spoken into my life as well. Thank you, guys. They are, they are mentors and, uh, and, and true friends of the house. They were here last year celebrating with us our 10-year anniversary. And uh, so it is our honor on Father's Day to have a spiritual pops come and speak. So would you mind doing me a favor? Would you stand to your feet and help me honor Pastor Craig Lotz as he comes to bring the word? Love you, pops. Wow. You look good, church. Looks so good. I was telling your pastor that Moni and I thinking about coming here was like Christmas. Yeah, wait for Christmas. Get to see City Life. Get to be with pastors John, John, Elena. We do. We really love you guys. I felt also a prompting for the college that if you're a young adult, a young person, you can grow in nine months what would take you 10 years to grow. That's, that's the facts. If you will, here, if that's what the Lord tells you to do, you can grow in nine months what it would normally take a normal Christian 10 years to grow. So if you're into that kind of stuff, <laughs> I am. So go for it. Um, we do. We love you. Was worship awesome? Yeah. So good. Presence of God. You could just feel the joy of the Lord, the presence of the Lord in that. Um, I was thinking it as I was praying about being here today. I got this picture like, and, and it was like God was dreaming up City Life Church, San Francisco, and he was going to build it and put it in the hearts of these pastors. And he said, you know what? I'm going to give them the best pastors on the planet. I'm going to give them the very best. Can we give them a hand? They are world class. They are, they are world-class leaders. They lead people, lead pastors all around the world. You, you have a rich, rich well here, and you're very, very blessed. PM, Pastor Moni, would you stand up and just wave to the people, this gorgeous, 
uh, woman of God. Tell her I always got the best looking woman on my arm, any room I go into, anywhere. She's awesome. So I'm going to talk to you about Father's Day. Do you know that Father's Day started in Spokane, Washington, where we're from? There was a woman by the name of Sonora Dodd, and her dad uh, was a war hero, and they had a, large, a larger family, five to six kids, and her mother passed away, and the dad raised the kids, and she loved her dad and was so impressed with her dad. She was sitting in a church service in Spokane, and they preached about Mother's Day, which was already official, and she said, we need something for dads. And so she began a campaign and pressing for it, and in 1910 was the first uh, official gathering for a Father's Day event in Spokane, Washington. I love how it happened. The first place she went was to the Minister's Association in Spokane. Got a group of pastors together and said, hey, we need to have something for dads. And so that's, that's where it came from, and it's all around the world. We were in Australia, and they're celebrating Father's Day, and they said it started in some place called Spokane, Washington. We're going, that's us. That's us. We get credit for that. So I'm going to talk to you, even those of you online, Darni, Carmelita, gosh, what a good crew out there, huh? Hello, we're glad you're with us. Um, going to talk about a father and that he was really good in some things and not so good in other things. We're going to talk about King David in the Old Testament. If you're new to this thing called church, that's the first half of the Bible, King David, and then we're going to talk about him and one of his sons and some challenges. My title for today is A, a Heart That Was Lost. And we're going to learn from King David some things not to do, okay? And believe that God can speak to us. I know, uh, Pastor John John, when we came up with this was the date, this was months ago that we were going to be here. I felt the Lord put this message in my spirit months ago that this is what he wanted to speak. And I want to say fathers, any fathers online that are watching, any fathers here, I felt like the Lord said, Craig, I want you to make sure you tell them thank you. Thank you for loving your wives. Thank you for loving your kids. Hey, and we're not perfect. It's one of the toughest assignments on the planet to be a father. And, and I mean, did anybody have a manual? I had no manual other than the Bible, so help us, Lord. But the Lord wanted to say thank you. Thank you for loving your wives, loving your kids, and for sacrificing for them. So we're going to look at this story, and this story is crazy. How many of you, well, I don't want to, don't tell me how many watch soap operas. I hope not too many of you watch soap operas. But as the world turns, we used to have one back in the day called Peyton Place and all these soap operas. And they're just like, every week is like, oh my gosh, this is too much. This story has, it, it, no soap opera has more than this story we're going to read about it. It has relatives trying to kill each other. It has all kinds of stuff. It's an amazing story. And so we're going to go through that. Let's start in 2 Samuel chapter 13. And God's okay with letting us learn from our mistakes and learning from other people's mistakes. That is a wise person that learns from other people's mistakes. Pastor Boney and I talk about this, that the best lessons we've learned in life are the things we did wrong. And happen to go back and go, okay, why, why did that not go well? What happened there? So 2 Samuel, we're going to read about David and his firstborn son, Amnon. It says, in the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became so obsessed with his half-sister, Tamar, that he made himself ill. Dude, get a break. Anyway... She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. 
Ooh, that does not sound good. That is just sounding like we're on the ugly trail. We're heading to something ugly right there. So it says, now Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab. This is his cousin, son of Shemiah, David's brother. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. This is not a good guy. He's slimy. He's slippery. He's not a good guy. He asked Amnon, David's firstborn son, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, I am in love with Tamar. Now, I would change that, having read the full story, and say he is in lust with Tamar. He's not in love with Tamar. He's in lust with my brother Absalom's sister. So this guy gives him this recommendation. Go to bed, pretend to be ill. Jonadab said, when your father comes to see you, say to him, I'd li I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so I may eat from her hand. Well, from there it goes from bad to worse. Um, Absalom and Tamar, full brother and sister. David doesn't protect Tam Tamar. He doesn't do what a good father should have done in that instance. And he allows Tamar's half-brother Amnon to be alone with her. And brutally, a terrible thing happens. Amnon rapes Tamar. And it says in Deuteronomy 22 that if that happens, he is required to marry her, but he doesn't even do that. He pushes her out in her shame, sends her away. And so we begin to see a pattern in David that David missed it. David had an opportunity to do something here, to deal with something, and he didn't do it. And it says in 2 Samuel 13, verse 21, when King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. I would think so, but he doesn't do anything. He's very angry, but he doesn't do anything. And though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this. He hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. So a great question to ask, ask, and hopefully we can learn about fathering, mothering, but this even applies to our relationships in our lives. Why did David not deal with Amnon? Why did he not do something? And the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what it is, but we can put some pieces together and come up with some ideas. Number one, I, this is what I can see. He may not have wanted to cross his firstborn son and lose that relationship. You know, sometimes we don't confront or we don't challenge someone because we're afraid we'll lose that relationship. Anybody ever been there? Come on, that's, that's real stuff right there. It's, I need to talk to them. We need to deal with this, whether it's a child or a friend or a spouse. But we're afraid of losing that relationship, and so we compromise, and we don't do that because we don't want to lose that relationship. But let me tell you this. I have seen this for 40-plus years of ministry. What you compromise to gain, you will lose. What, what we compromise, I'll throw myself in there, what I compromise to gain, I always lose. And that's what happened to David here. He compromised, obviously, didn't deal with his son, possibly out of fear of something happening. The second thing I can see, I think David felt guilty from his sin of adultery with Bathsheba. Because one chapter, two chapters before this chapter, David commits adultery with Bathsheba and has her husband killed trying to get him out of the way. So I'm, I could imagine David's there and he, I should deal with my son, but how can I deal with my son when I've got this in my past? And what I feel like God wants me to say to us today is, parents, we got to get healed. 
We got to get healed because we cannot let the shame of our past stop us from helping our children or helping people. If David fully had dealt with that, we would be able to be fully restored and know, hey, God, I made mistakes, but I learned from them. I need to help my kids not make the same mistakes. So you and I, if you are aware of shame in your past, if you're aware of some things that still bother you today, it's time to get healed. It's time to get healed. People are depending on you and me getting healed and restored. And if this is your house, you're in a good place to get healed. You are, there's an anointing on this house to be healed. You've got your, your what are your weekend getaways? Your freedom retreats. Man, that's pure gold right there to get healed and restored. You've got amazing pastors in this house that will love you, care for you, walk with you. But listen, there, there, there are consequences down the road for our kids, for our grandkids, if we don't get healed of the things of our past. Amen? Amen. And I, I'm talking to you online too. Lamia, that's, that's you. That's everyone here. We all need to be healed so that we can find God's purpose for our life. So, what happens, that terrible event happens, and uh, Amnon, for, for two more years, is brewing and coming up with a plan of how he's going to kill, um, or Absalom is, of these two brothers, these two half-brothers with the A's on both their names, foul me up, how, how he's planning to kill Amnon, Absalom is. So two years down the road, uh, Absalom invites people over to his place. He invites all of the king's sons, David's sons, and he invites David. David doesn't go, which is another bad thing. If David had been there, what happened would not have happened as da if dad was there. I heard somebody once describe, what's a dad's job? It's like dad sits out on the porch in a rocking chair and the kids should just get along better with dad out there on the rocking chair. Just dad's presence should help bring that civility amongst the kids. But David does not go, so all of his sons go up, and there is as many as 19 of his sons. It doesn't tell us how many are there, but a lot of his sons go up there. And in the midst of that gathering at, at, at Absalom's house, Absalom has some of his men murder Amnon. And they kill Amnon, and so the sons run back to, to Jerusalem. They're heading back to the king, and this is where we pick it up in 2 Samuel 13, verse 30. It says, as they were on their way back to Jerusalem, this report reached David. Absalom has killed all the king's sons. Not one is left alive. The king gets up, tears his robes, throws himself on the ground. His advisors also tore their clothes in horror and sorrow. But just then, Jonadab, the son of David's brother Shemiah, the slimy guy, arrived and said, no, don't believe that all the king's sons have been killed. It was only Amnon. Absalom has been plotting this ever since Amnon raped his sister Tamar. No, my lord, the king, your sons aren't all dead. It was only Amnon. He knew something David should have known. David should have known what was going on in Absalom's heart, but here was this other person that got close to Absalom and knew what was going on in Absalom's heart. So when Absalom has Amnon killed, he takes off, Absalom takes off, and he's running and flees for three years. He's fleeing for three years. And in chapter 13, verse 37 through 9, 39, it says David mourned for his son and missed and wanted to reconnect with Absalom every day. 
So here's a father. His son has murdered the one son. He takes off. He's gone for three years. He mourns the loss of the son that died. But then it says every day he mourned for and longed to be reconnected to Absalom, the other son, for three years. But he didn't do anything about it. Three years he longed to be with him. But he doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't go after him, doesn't reach out to him. And it makes me think of men and women today that are hungering for a father's love. They're hungering for dad to reach out. They're, they're needing dad to reach out. They're needing to be affirmed by dad. They're needing to be loved by dad. And, and we see that that's going on all around us. So there's another man that is close to King David. His name is Joab. He's David's nephew. Are you getting all the relatives in this thing? This is a family affair, boy. It says, Joab, who was David's nephew, who was over, he was the commander of David's army, he convinces David to go send for Absalom and bring him back. But he doesn't talk directly to King David. He sends this woman, he hires this woman to go around, manipulate, go around this way, tell a story, make up a story, get King David to say something, and then David does it. Do you ever have anybody in your life that won't go to the person they got an issue with? They always come to somebody else. Oh my gosh, that's a pet peeve. That's a pet peeve for me. That's just not right. I mean, what does the Bible say in Matthew 18? If your brother offend you, Go to your hairdresser and pour it out. It's not what it says, is it? If your brother offend you, go to your sister and let her know what's happening that you're being taken advantage of. No, the Bible says if your brother offend you, go to who? Your brother. I'm constantly, we've tried to train this into our leaders at Victory Faith. If somebody comes to you and starts talking about somebody else, you need to stop them and say, wait a minute, have you talked to them? Have you talked to them? I love it. I love it. Uh, it. It is a powerful principle. Matthew 18 is such a beautiful principle in the kingdom of God to guard and, and keep us safe in all that God wants to do. So David finally says, okay, Absalom, bring him back to Jerusalem. Bring him back to the city. And he comes back and David says, but he can't be in my presence. What? You sent for him. You called him back to the city. We know, the Bible tells us, you've been missing and longing to be with him for three years. You bring him back, and now you say, don't let him be in my presence. That's kind of like the silent treatment. You know? You ever had somebody do, give you the silent treatment? It's not good. Silent treatment's not good. It's not how God wants us to communicate and walk together. It's, it's, it's not his plan. And so here is, here is David giving him the silent treatment, and it has bad effects in, he, in Absalom just as it does in us. You know, I'm going to talk today about father wounds that, again, God is so blessed with his fathers for sacrificing, for loving, but God wants us to grow and learn. I want to be a better father tomorrow than I am today. And I know that's your heart too. That's why you're here. You want to be a, a better father down the road. I was sharing about father wounds once years ago, and there was a man in our church named Mike. And Mike heard a message about a father wound. He had been estranged from his dad for, I think it was 20 years, hadn't spoke to him. And in the midst of that message, God tapped on his heart and said, Mike, you need to reach out to your dad. So he leaves the meeting, reaches out to his dad, he gets to restore some relationship with his dad. He takes his kids, who are dad's grandkids, who he's never met, takes them to meet his dad. And for two months, they have this beautiful reconciliation between a father and a son. And then out of the nowhere, his dad dies. 
And I'll never forget Mike coming to me one day and saying, Craig, thank you for pointing out father wounds. Because I can't imagine where I would be today if my dad died and I was estranged from him. And I'd never re tried to reconnect. I'd never tried to bring down that, that wall. I mean, God wants us to be restored. God wants our relationships. Now, he doesn't want you to enter back into abusive relationships. That's not what I'm saying. You may not be your dad's best friend or whoever that person is that you're estranged from. That may not happen, and it, maybe it's not supposed to. But you want to have freedom. You want to be released. You don't want bitterness. You don't want unforgiveness. God wants to heal that because we're going to see in Absalom, it changed the trajectory of his life when he never got it right and never got it restored with his father. So here's Absalom. He's been gone three years. Now he's in the city two years. He can't see his father. His father brought him back. So he can't see his father. So he goes to Joab and he hires some guys and they light Joab's field on fire. And so Joab's field's on fire and, and, and Joab comes and says, what's going on? And he says, I wanted some attention. I wanted some attention. Is that the picture of a kid in rebellion or what? Come on, how many, how many of us lit fields on fire? And maybe not literally fields on fire. How many of us wanted attention somewhere along the line and did what we shouldn't do? That's what Absalom's doing. He, Absalom, he's, he's trying to get somebody's attention. I, I want to see my father. You brought me back to town. The other guy, Joab, wouldn't help him. So, okay, I'm going to light your field on fire. I think it's a picture of rebellion. I think that he's rebelling because he, he can't get this relationship going with his father. And I think about how many times our, our kids or our people around us seeming to be in rebellion when actually all they're looking for is connection. They're looking for affirmation. They're looking for love. They're looking for somebody to notice them. They're looking for somebody to reach out to them. And, and, and at that field on fire means somebody's heart's wandering. Somebody's hungry for a touch. Somebody's hungry for love. Somebody's hungry for healing. And we need to not look at that fire and say, get out of here. We don't need you. We need to look at that fire and say, God, show me what I can do to help that person. Listen, rebellion is not normal. I hear parents, good Christian parents, say, well, when they get into their teens, they're going to rebel. Au contraire, mon frere. That is not true. That is not Bible. That may be culture, but that's not Bible. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 15, rebellion is sin, as is witchcraft. And so when, when a child of ours, someone gets into rebellion, it exposes them to the realm and power and control of Satan. And we don't want that. Amen? Somebody could look at Absalom ends up going after his father trying to kill him. He would have killed his father if he could catch him. So he drives David out, out of his seat, out of his throne. Absalom's after him. And you could say, well, it, it was, it's bad for Absalom. You know, he rebelled and went against the king. But it's, it's just his problem. By the end of the story, 20,000 men died because of Absalom's rebellion. So we affect people around us. So I want to shift here a little bit and talk about what happens when someone is not fathered as they should be and, and just the impact it can have on their lives. So let's read this in 2 Samuel 14. I love this part. 2 Samuel 14, verse 25 and 26 says, Now Absalom was praised as the most handsome man in all of Israel. 
we got us a dude. We got us a good-looking dude here. It is fully agreed. Everybody in, everybody in Jerusalem, everybody in the country says, you the man, Absalom. You the best-looking man in all the country. If he was alive today, he'd be on the cover of People magazine, Sexiest Man Alive. Come on. This is who we're dealing with. And you know what? It can be a problem. You think being ugly is a problem? Say no more. <laughs> so we've, we're dealing with an unfathered man that is the best looking man in the country. And it says he was flawless from head to foot. Oh boy, this dude, he's got it together. We would say chiseled. Yeah, he was chiseled. And listen to this. He cut his hair only once a year. And then only because it was so heavy. <laughs> Oh, it's time. It's time. I got to cut my hair. And listen to this. And when he weighed it, who weighs their hair? He weighed his hair. He weighed his hair. And when he weighed it, it came to five pounds. Oh, my gosh. See, this is a young man that was not affirmed by a father, not encouraged by a father, not corrected by a father. And he's looking to be important somehow. And my hair, instead of pursuing the weight of God's glory, he's concerned about the weight of his hair. It's, it's, it's a sad story. See, his father didn't give him an identity, didn't make him feel important, so Absalom tried to make himself feel important. And his hair was one way of doing it. I mean, I'm so good looking, and how much did it weigh this year, Absalom? <laughs> so let's read a little bit more about him. 2 Samuel 15, verse 1. We're just getting a picture of an unfathered young man. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run in front of him. Come on, Jesus. So here, you knew when Absalom was coming because there's 50 guys running down the street in front of him. Reminds me of somebody driving a certain car to... Everybody know I'm important. I got this car. Now, I like good cars. Come on now. God wants you to have a good car, but is it your identity? Is it your identity? So here comes Absalom. He's important. He's hired 50 guys to run in front of him, so everybody's going to think he's important. He's doing things to try and make himself feel important. I mean, it can, it can, we can dress in certain clothes to feel important. We can get our value from dressing in certain ways. We can get our value from the car that we have. I, I love telling this story on myself. I did commercial real estate for about 16 years, and um, I had Cadillacs. I had a bunch of Cadillacs, and the last one that I had was sweet. It was awesome. It was a little Coupe de Ville, midnight blue, white vinyl top, white leather interior. I'm not coveting it at all. It was just so cool. I, I got custom uh, chrome spoked wheels on it. I had a custom chrome front put on it. I mean, this thing was sweet. I'd drive it around. And one day the Lord said, Craig, I want you to sell it. I said, get behind me, Satan. This is my car. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. The Lord said, Craig, I want you to sell it. I said, after a little bit of prayer, I said, yeah, okay, let's sell it. And so I sold it, and he very specifically told me the car he wanted me to buy, and it was a very bland car. It was not an impressive car, and I was used to driving what I thought was impressive cars. And so I got this car, and I'm driving one day to meet some clients, some group of multimillionaires, and I pull into this shopping center, and they're waiting on the sidewalk for me. And normally, with my other car, I would have pulled right up to them. 
But this time, I park way in the back of the parking lot. And I pull into my parking spot, and I will never forget this. I, I don't know if it was his voice or as clear as it could get in my mind. I pull up the car, and I stop, and he goes, Craig, why are you parking here? I went, you go park where you normally parked. You go pull right up where the guys are. And he was dealing with my pride. He was hammering my pride big time. He showed me in an instant, Craig, you got pride. I, I want you to have good cars. I want you to be blessed. But is it your identity? Is, is, is that your value? Is that where you're getting your value? God wants us to be free from that and enjoy in a good way the blessings of the Lord in our life. So here he is, 50 people running out before him. He would get up early, Absalom would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, what town are you from? And he would answer, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Okay, this is the meat of my message. Three of you fell asleep, it's time to wake up. Um, so this is the meat of my message right now. If you've got something to write this down on, if you've got a piece of paper, if you've got your phone, you need to write this down. Because in the next couple of verses, Absalom is going to steal the hearts of the children of Israel. And these people love King David. You as parents, your kids may love you, but if somebody will do what we're going to read right now to your kids, they will steal their kids' hearts from you, even if your kids love you. So are you ready? You ready? Two of them over here. Okay, 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 okay. So, then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or a case would come to me, and I would see that you receive justice. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Now, he wouldn't kiss him on the lips. He'd kiss him on the head, kiss him on the hand. It wasn't some weird thing like that, but he would show affection towards them. Absalom behaved in this way toward all of the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And what was the result of this? So he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. Wow. Wow. So let me list out. I can see four things there that he did that stole the hearts of the people. And listen, especially the parents here, this is how hell is going to steal your hearts of your kids. This is how he's going to do it. And if we have lost the hearts of our kids, this is how we get them back. This is how we get them back. Hell no, you don't. You don't get them. All right, four things. This is how he stole their hearts. Number one, he made them feel important and special. Come on. You make somebody feel important and special, and the reality is they are. If you got human flesh on, if you're walking this earth, whether you know Jesus or not, you are important and you are special. He died for you, whether you know him or not. So he made these people feel important and special. Number two, he listened to them. There is power in a listening ear. I know when our kids were growing up, we had an open door policy. Kids, anytime, day or night, um, you come talk to us. And I can remember a lot of conversations during the daytime, but the conversations that really stand out to me are midnight conversations. I'm laying in bed after a long day at work, and I'm just about ready to fall asleep, and I can hear pitter-patter down, down the hallway, and I go, oh my gosh, they're coming for a talk. So I'd say, Moni, slap me and wake me up. Here we go. 
and they would come in, one of the girls, and they'd sit on the foot of the bed, and they're crying, and they start pouring out, and two or three hours later, they have unburdened themselves, we have prayed for them, they walk out light and free instead of carrying that, and instead of somebody at school telling them, you're special, you're important, I'll listen to you, nobody else will listen to you, but I'll listen to you, we kept their hearts. Number three, he touched them with affection. I mean, in this day of a sexually charged culture, you need, we need to be wise and careful with this. But man, putting the, your hand on a child's shoulder, putting your hand on their head, blessing them, loving them, touching them, hugging them, we don't realize how important it is in the economy of heaven, what that does to the heart of someone. Somebody will touch them. Somebody will be affectionate to them. It better be us. Amen? Come on. And number four, he praised them. You're important. You're special. He praised them. He verbally praised them. Listen, that is how hell will steal the hearts of our children. Your kids may like you or love you like they loved King David, but if somebody else is doing this instead of you and me, we will lose the hearts. Of it. it works in a marriage, too. It works in relationships with friends. This is not limited to parents and kids. This is in many, many relationships. This is how he stole their hearts and also how we're going to get their hearts back. I have parents tell me, well, Craig, my, my kids don't want to talk to me. That's not true. They do. They're dying to talk to us. But a lot of times they want to talk about stuff that we don't think is important. And we're going to need to shift and adjust and say, okay, how is Barbie this week? <laughs> she looks the same to me. <laughs> And she's still got the guy Ken hanging out? Is that kind of the, the, okay, okay. Listen, the, in Malachi, the very last book of the, of the Old Testament, first half of the Bible, the last words, God says, I will send the spirit of Elijah and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children back to the fathers. Who moves first? Biblically, fathers, it's on us. You're upset with your child? You want to give them the silent treatment? That's, not, that's the kingdom of darkness, not the kingdom of light. Fathers, you reach out first. You reach out first. We reach out first. And I want to thank you, fathers. Though anybody watching online that's a father, I, I just thank you and anybody here. Listen, there is no condemnation in this message. It's like we showed up at church today and God's saying, I want to show you how to do it a little better. I want you to know that you can have the heart of your kids, even in the darkest of times. I, I want you to know that. So there, there is no condemnation. Father, if you're sitting here and you're feeling guilt, that's from hell. That's not from God. God loves you. God's proud of you, man of God. God loves you, and he loves that you're sacrificing and that you're loving. And none of us are perfect, and we're not going to do it perfect. But today he's come just to give us a little oomph, a little uh, ideas of how we can keep the hearts of our children. That's the proper order. Listen, in anger, if anger is an issue, it's good to deal with it. Get help. Confess it to somebody and get some help on that road because anger will crush a child's spirit and cause their hearts to get hardened. A child's heart is much too delicate to survive the explosion of a father's love, or anger. When Absalom needed a father, his father treated him like a subject. Tell him where to go. Tell him what to do. Instead of being a father... He made him feel like a subject. 
it's okay to be something else to our kids. Like I'm a pastor. It's okay for me to be a pastor to my kids. Maybe you're a businessman. It's okay to be a businessman around your kids. It's okay to be a coach. It's, it's okay to be a friend. But first, before you're even a friend to your kids, be a father. Be a mother. I, I know so many parents that they, they would die to be their kid's friend, but that's not the thing they need the most. They don't need you to be their friend the most. They need you to be their mom. They need you to be their dad the most. And then once you are their mom and dad and standing in that place, then be their friend. And that's, that's double sweet right there. When you and I are critical and judgmental, as parents, we lose the hearts of our children. Your child may feel short, fat, skinny, ugly, Ask a lot of questions. Jesus asked the disciples lots of questions so he could stay on top of where they're at. If you follow his, his language, he is always asking the disciples, well, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? He's constantly asking them questions so he could locate where they are. And listen, if your child is in rebellion, don't push him away. Do not push them away. And listen, don't ever give up on your kids. I don't care what they're doing. If they're robbing banks, if they're, I don't care what they're doing. Don't you ever give up on your kids. Thank goodness God didn't give up on us. I'm telling you, I was ugly. I was doing some ugly things. And he still died for me in my ugliness. He died for me in my ugliness. So don't give up on your kids. I'll tell you what, if you've got breath in you, pray them back in. I tell this story of one of my kids was off on a tangent, off not living like they should be, and I knew that they lo they're a foodie. So I would call them, even in the midst of being not in a good place, I'd say, hey, did you hear the new restaurant opened up over down? Can I take you there for lunch tomorrow? Yeah, I knew he couldn't resist that. Come on, let's go. Okay. So we go down there, and we're eating good food, and I'd always pour out some fatherly wisdom. I love you, sweetie. You're awesome. You know that, don't you? You know you're not created to live like you're living right now, and I'd smile. You know that, right? And you know I've been praying for you, don't you? Do you think God answers my prayers? You know he answers my prayers. How's that steak anyway? Are you enjoying that steak? Is it good? You good? You want some truffle fries too? I think, hey, could we get some truffle fries over here? I'll tell you what, you can keep their heart even in the midst of rebellion. Don't you give up. I was telling somebody in first service, I went on a two-year fast of desserts. I love desserts. Anybody here? Raise your hand if you love desserts. I see those hands. I see those hands. I felt one day that person that was in rebellion, I felt like the Lord said, I want you to fast desserts. And so I fasted desserts for two years. And yeah, hallelujah. That's mean. That's tough right there. And I'd sit around and everybody's eating my favorite dessert. And I'd look up at the Lord and say, here's my offering. I, go get them, Jesus. Go get them. I mean, we don't give up on him, amen? Let me finish with this. <clears throat> How would you describe Absalom, this unfathered boy, unfathered man? Would you call him rebellious? Yeah, that's a good description. Would you call him prideful? Mm, hair. Do you know his hair is how he died? His hair is how he died. When they're in a battle, he has kicked David out. He's trying to kill David. His army comes against David's men. They're, they're chasing him through the woods. He gets caught by his hair in a tree. Five pounds worth. He's caught in a tree, and he's hanging there by his hair, and they kill him. Vanity will take us out. Vanity will take us where we don't want to go. Is he prideful? He's prideful, yeah. Is he vain? Yeah. Is he driven? Yeah, I could name a bunch of things. But let's examine 
what God's call was on his life by looking at his name, Ab-Salam. Ab is short for Abba, which is father. Ab is father. Salam comes from the word shalom. His name means father of peace. And he was anything but father of peace. He couldn't have been further from anything a father of peace. So here was his call and his destiny was to be a father of peace, and he never fulfilled it. He died not fulfilling God's purpose on his life because of that broken relationship in his life. Not affirmed, not loved, not cared for. It took him out. And listen, why is, Craig, why is this? It's not just important about Father's Day. Listen, our God is a father. Our God is a loving incredible, amazing father. He's very personal. He's so compassionate. But how we see our natural father will bleed into how we see our heavenly father. And so if we have what I would call a father wound, we need to get it healed because it more than likely is impacting how we see our father in heaven. Because he may be nothing like the father that we had. Maybe you had a father that was absent. Our God is not absent. I will never leave you nor forsake you, says the Lord God Almighty. He will never. Your father might have left you. God says, I will never leave you. You can run like hell. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. It can influence as we look at some of us here may have some bitterness towards our dad because of something he did or something he didn't do. And that bitterness will get us off course. We may have unforgiveness when we think about forgiving him. I can't forgive him. What he did was too bad or what he didn't do was too bad. Listen, that unforgiveness hurts us. Hardly does anything to him. It hurts us. We see it in Absalom, that unforgiveness, that bitterness. It took him out of his destiny. And God wants every one of us here to fulfill our destinies. Every one of you online, God wants you walking in your full destiny. And this is something that can take us out. Listen, as I was putting this message together, I thought about Nehemiah in the Old Testament. He came to the revelation that his relatives before him his families before him, had sinned against God and it was having consequences in his life and in the world around him. And so he does something we call identificational repentance. He stood before God. His ancestors were dead, but he stood before God on behalf of his ancestors and said, Father, forgive me and forgive my ancestors. And it released a powerful, powerful blessing in his life and in the people's lives around him. So I, now I read that, I understand that. I felt like God said, Craig, I want you to stand before the people today. And I want you to stand as a father, like Nehemiah did, on behalf of your fathers. Your father that wasn't there. Your father that wasn't nice. Your father that left you, left your mom. Your father that was absent. Your father that didn't know how to father. And I felt like God said, Craig, I want you to stand there on behalf of those fathers and ask people to forgive you. First of all, Craig, I want you to repent to them. So I'm standing here right now before you as a father, as if I was your father. And I want to say to you, will you forgive me? 
Will you forgive me? Those that have pain in your past because of your fathers. Those of you that you're, you know your life is a bit off course because of that relationship. Would you receive me today standing here on behalf of your father and saying, please forgive me. Please forgive me for not being there when you needed me. Please forgive me for always cutting you down with my words. Please forgive me for leaving when you needed me there the most. Please, will you forgive me? I didn't know what I was doing. Boy, I feel the Holy Spirit right now. Would you stand up with me? Come, Holy Spirit. I ask, Lord, that you heal every heart here. I ask that you heal and restore every heart here. Some of you, you feel Holy Spirit on you right now. You know, the Bible says he heals the broken in heart and binds up our wounds. Listen, we just read a story that someone that had a father wound and didn't get it healed never fulfilled their God-given destiny. It's serious. It happened to Absalom. It can happen to us. And I felt like the Lord between services even said, Craig, would you open up the altar? If that's you and you know, Craig, you're talking to me. You, uh, you know you need a touch from God in your heart. You know there needs to be healing in your heart in this area. Would you be so bold as to come forward right now and just come up here to the altar so that I can pray over you? I just encourage you. I call you forth. Come on. Be bold. You know who you are. You know God's working in your heart right now. Your kids need you to be healed. Your family needs to be healed. The generations to come need you to be healed. Come on. Come on. I think there's more of you. Today can be your heal, your day of healing and restoration. Today can be your day of seeing God in a whole new light. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God loves you. He is proud of you. He is proud of you. He has a call on you. He wants to use you to win people to him. He wants you to reach out and be able to touch people and bring healing into their lives. Those four things that I said, God says, I'm going to put it in you so deep that not only for your own family, you're going to be able to reach out to other people and you are going to bring healing and restoration and you are going to draw people to the loving heart of God because you, you grab a hold of this message. You grab a hold of this truth. You grab a hold of this revelation. And God says, I'm going to do things with you you never thought possible. I'm going to use you to heal and restore because the enemy went after you in an area God wanted to use you. Amen? Come on. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Can you guys come forward a little more so I can lay hands on you? Father, you're proud of your girls. You're proud of your girls. You're proud of your girls. You're proud of your girl. Look me in the eye. He's proud of you. Your father's proud of you. Your father God is proud of you. You took steps up here. He was cheering when you made steps up here. Your father in heaven loves you. Your father in heaven cares for you. Your father will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's proud of you. And he has beautiful plans for you. Beautiful plans. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. To give you a future and a hope, says the Lord. Come on, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, we pray blessing. Blessing over your son. God, I thank you for healing this heart today. 
I thank you, God. Your word, I declare your word over your son. You heal the broken in heart and bind up your wounds. Father, you have a powerful call on the lives of these up here, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. I'll tell you what, guys, I could feel God's pleasure over you taking a step of faith. You know, Jesus would, would speak healing over someone, and then he would say, stretch out your hand. The guy can't stretch out his hand. It's withered. But because he obeyed, you obeyed, healing power flowed. He said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. I can't see. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. It almost seemed cruel what he was asking them to do. But because they acted on the word and faith, healing flowed. Miracles flowed. I declare healing. I declare miracles. God loves you guys. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Where's Erica? What's the song you guys were singing that you were leading part of it? Is it impossible to come up and do it? Just while I pray over people, it's okay to take a few minutes? Come, Holy Spirit. Oh, my, 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 my. God's proud of you. God's proud of you. Somebody's been telling you different, but God's proud of you. He loves you. He cares for you. He sees you. He sees you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Proud of your daughters. I declare a father's blessing. I declare a father's blessing of hope. I declare a father's blessing of stability. I declare a father's blessing of peace. I declare a father's blessing of strength in the name of Jesus. I declare a father's blessing. Father, over everyone up here, any blessings that were withheld, today we proclaim them. Today we declare them by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord God. You are proud of everyone that's up here, Lord Jesus. You are proud, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, you're proud of your girls. You're proud of your girls, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Healing, God. Restoration. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You guys want to come pray? Get your pastors. David? Yeah? Isaac, come on. You guys want to lay hands? I'm proud of you guys. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, more of you, God. More of you, God. More of your presence. More of your healing. Wash, 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 wash now. Come on. Now. Jesus, you. Yes. Woo! Jesus. You change everything. You change everything. Jesus. You change everything. your son you love your son you're proud of your boy you're proud of your boy he's a grown man but he's your boy 
He's a grown man, but he's your boy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Jesus. You change everything. Yes, He loves you. He loves you. He changes it all. Yeah. He's moving in your life today. Thank you, Lord. He's moving in One last story. We have a campus in Bungoma, Kenya, and we have gone through the years and done pastors' conferences, and we had one a number of years ago, and maybe 100, 150 pastors were there, and I shared a message about father wounds, and there was a pastor there, 80 years old, a Maasai, and Maasai, if you know where the Maasai are, they're in Kenya, they have red clothes they wear, they think they own all the cattle in the world, they jump up and down, they're amazing. 80-year-old Maasai pastor, and by the, at the finish of the message about he, restoring fathers and sons, he walked out of that meeting, and he walked all through the night to get to his son's house. His son was a pastor also. And his son had been driving us around the country, so I knew his son fairly well. He went all through the night, showed up early in the morning, knocked on his son's door. His son came down, woke him up out of his sleep, and he came in and he repented to his son and he got a bucket of water out and he washed the feet of his son. And he said, son, I'm so sorry. I've not been a good father. I wasn't there when you needed me. I put this above you, I put that above you, but I'm here today to say, will you please forgive me? I, will, I, will, I honor you, I love you, and I'm sorry. And his son forgave him, and he walked back all that way and got back for the last meeting the next day and told me the story through tears of God restoring their relationship that night. And I got to see his son the next day. He picked us up in a car, and he didn't look like the same boy. He didn't look like the same man. There was so much joy in his countenance because his father had reached out to him and loved him and cared for him and repented to him. It changed him in so many ways. Listen, you and I have incredible power in forgiveness. We have incredible power in releasing people. I, I encourage dads or sons, if you haven't spoken to your dad and if they won't speak to you, that can't stop you. Are we going to give up that easy? Get a card. And just write, Dad, I was thinking about you today. Son, I was thinking about you today. And I just want you to know I love you. I'm not, I don't need anything. I'm praying for you. I love you. Sign it, son, daughter. Send it to him. If you don't get any response back, that's okay. Hurt people, hurt people. It's all right. Week later, month later, I'm sitting down writing another card. Hi, Dad. Thinking about you again. want you to know that I'm so grateful that God used you to bring me into the world. And I love you, Dad. <laughs> Come on. I'll tell you what, there's not many hard hearts that can stand up to that. And then you pray over it, you say, Holy Spirit, go get him. Go get him. Amen. All right. PJJ, come on.